Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, we welcome back frequent guest Brian Burns with a different take with a business development sales take on the acquisition time zones. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Visit skywayacq.com to learn more. All right, let's get started with Kevin and Brian Burns. All right, I want to welcome Brian Burns to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's been like 150 episodes since you've been on our podcast. Uh, it was back in episode 222, so time flies. Uh, so if you don't know Brian, Brian Burns is 20 years. He was spent selling to the government. He also has been uh, doing training uh, outside for over 10 years now. He's a podcast and a bunch of YouTube content. So author, trainer, and just, I call him an, an edutainer of sales. So did, did I miss any highlights of, of you, Brian? Uh, no, that that's a good good overview. Just uh, been helping out salespeople after spending quite a career uh, selling to the government directly and indirect. Yeah, it's, it's fun to have you on here. So you and I have created a good amount of content on on our podcast on yours over the years and uh, covered a lot of ground. So, but one thing we haven't talked about is the is one of those core concepts we have on our podcast called the acquisition time zones. So I wanted to talk through that with you. And for those who aren't familiar with the acquisition time zones, we cover the basics of those way back in episode number three. But basically what they are is a, a way to understand the acquisition process. There are zones that the buyer is going through. And so the, the requirement zone is the first zone. Then there's the market research zone, the RFP zone, and the selection zone. And these apply to any sale, but they, they apply particularly in government sales. And so understanding what's happening in that requirement zone, i.e. the government's developing the requirement, influenced by industry. Then the market research zone is where the contracting officer is developing, how am I going to buy this? They're, they're saying, who, who could actually do this? How are we going to actually buy this product or service? RFP zone starts when a solicitation goes out. And we thought about calling it the solicitation zone, but that doesn't roll off the tongue. So whether it's an RFP or an RFQ, that's the zone. And then the selection zone is where the winner is revealed. You don't just show up in the selection zone and say, hey, I'm here. Yeah, if you miss the other three zones, you're out of luck. So that's it in a nutshell. So now I'm going to pass this over. I want to, I'm really excited to get Brian's input on this. So first question is, how do these align with your experience, particularly selling to the government? I usually sold new technology. So I was in there trying to create the requirement. <laughs> <laughs> because if you're not there creating the requirement, then you're kind of not going to find out about it until they do an RFI at some point or to do some market research. And by the time that happens, the decision can already be made. Hopefully, if that person who set the requirements put good lockouts and a good sole source justification, they can really do a good job of keeping everybody out. But that's not every case. A lot of them are just uh, not that good. Or the government, you know, is more focused on something else where price might be more important or some relationship, contract vehicle, some other lockout is applied to break yours. So as a seller, you really got to get a sense of what's happened before you went in. Because if you're getting an RFP or an RFI and you don't know anybody there and it doesn't look like anything you're working on, how, what's the chance that you really win in this? You could be a great rep and figure it out. It's possible, 
but it's uh, it's a lot more work. Yeah, well, one of the things we talk about is by the time the RFP has dropped, there are two entire zones. And, and to, I'm going to pull the string on one of your points is that during the requirement zone, if it's something that there isn't going to be an RFP about because the government doesn't know that they can use this product or service, right? They end up developing this overall requirement based on input from industry. And it could be from a sales rep, it could be from anybody. And then during the market research zone, they may decide, you know what, there's only one company that does this, or they're on this vehicle, it's the path of least resistance. And you never even get to a public RFP. So I love your point of, you may never know <laughs> that the government buys what you sell. And they're not going to tell you. Yeah, why would that? And if you're compensated on success versus activity, it matters. Yeah. Because they will take up a lot of time. They will not tell you no until they've already purchased the other product. So a really good point that as a contracting officer, I, I didn't realize how clear it was that, that business development folks, sales folks, business people in general are rewarded on results. And the yeah. result doesn't come out until that contract's awarded. And there's a lot of activity that sounds like it's effective. A lot of work and probably more work than on the commercial space. And a lot of people, you know, spend a lot of time on this. And they really like word the response to this like a novel. <laughs> and unless you really were in there to scope out that requirement, and if they're blocking you from talking to anybody of who's going to use it, then you're basically selling to a contracting officer who's just going to do what the requester asked. So to your point, if the RFP comes out, somebody's influenced that. Somebody did. And it wasn't the contracting officers. I, I don't have the requirement. I, I didn't right. write the requirement. I don't have the money. I'm I'm facilitating the acquisition. You're trying to do it by the book so that it survives an audit. That's your job. Yeah. So it survives a protest. Actually, even better, doesn't get a protest. <laughs> but if it gets one, I survive it, right? You survive it. Yeah. And you're supposed to be open and fair. Yeah. One of the, the, the balance that we work through as a contracting officer is we have fair. And then we also, we want to feel safe. I want to be able to say, okay, what I've done here is actually going to be, when, when I show it to the world, we did an episode called um, the, the, the fresh air test. When, when I show it to the world, it, is it going to pass the, the fresh air test? And yes. so I want to do it right. I want to be fair to everybody, but I also got to make sure that I'm, I'm not going to get hit upside the head. And, and, and that one is a, a high number one and being fair is a distant number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I need to make sure that I'm not going to end up on the, on the nightly news for doing something that well may have been fair, but only to the 1% who actually read the FAR. Well, that's it, because a lot of salespeople think that that contracting offer, sir, is the decision maker. They make the, they have a decision there to do it, to, to survive the sniff test, not <laughs> which product to buy. The requester and that rep, if they did their job right, makes it super easy for that contracting officer to award it to that, con, that company. Yeah, one of the things we talk about in episode 118 back in the day was that the three deciders, one of the deciders is the contracting officer. And while the contracting officer legally in a fair land decides who wins, they're not doing that in a vacuum. And again, it's not my requirement. So I'm picking somebody based on what somebody else told me to do. Right. And what's the likelihood that you're going to veto that if there isn't a substantial reason to? Right. That they agree with. Yeah, the, the, the process to get us to award the contract, that's my job as a contracting officer. It's, it's understanding what, what could that acquisition strategy be. 
Yeah. Just you're you're kind of the the minister at the wedding. So <laughs> the couple have already kind of negotiated it. That's a, that's a new metaphor. I gotta I gotta let that. Well, you're, you're, you, you, you're reading the law. You're making sure they sign the <laughs> marriage license. You're making sure it's done legally and properly. Oh, that's funny. Minister at the wedding. That's a new one. So you and I talked about uh, the technical versus the business sale in uh, episode 222, and basically the technical sale is the customer says yes, I want this product. And then the, the business sale is, okay, how do you turn that con that product, that yes, into an actual contract? And so how do you see those, going back to this point of the contracting officer's role, is, is the business sale. Like that, this, the sales rep and the technical person, they're doing the, the technical sale and the business sale is the contracting officer's job. So how do you see those overlapping these time zones? Like where, where do they jump out at you? Well, you kind of got to do a little of it together. Because you want to get the technical sale, which is I define as selecting your product or service to the exclusion of anything else, including doing nothing. Hmm. Okay. But you also have to justify it numerically. How does it pay for itself? What's the return? How does it compare against all the other alternatives, including doing nothing, the cost of waiting? All of those things are going to be fit into the business sale. Because before it gets to the contracting officer, the, that unit, that business unit has to approve it, has to justify it, has to come up. They're the ones that are allocating the funds. It's coming yeah. out of their budget somewhere, somehow. Yeah, the, the economic decider needs some justification to spend X amount of money on it. Yeah, the, the, the contracting officer doesn't have independent budget. Right. <laughs> yeah. They don't have a pile of money sitting around after our fee awards, it's like it's coming from some program, some contract, some other office, department, division or something. Yeah, that, that customer has a need. Yeah. So those people have to justify it. And that's not just what does the product do? It's like, what does it do for them economically? And yeah. a lot of salespeople just skip over that. And they assume that, you know, the, the people will figure it out and they can, but it's a whole lot easier if you help them by, by working further upstream during the like you're saying before during the requirement zone yes before it gets to market research the sale typically takes place right at that requirement stage right after that because by the time it goes to market study uh the people who come to the contracting office or the contracting office okay so who's going to pay for this what does it need to do essentially write up a sole source justification and don't use the word sole source. <laughs> yeah, e either we're sole source in this or we're competing in it, one or the other. But, right. I, I, so, I, but, but that requirement, you know, and just give me a list of must-haves and nice-to-haves. And I really like your point of, of the, the technical sale is made either in the requirement zone or right into the market research zone. Oh, and yeah. it's a really, it, it's, I want to uh, pound on that a little bit because that is the point at which the, the customer goes to the contracting officer and says, okay, I want this thing. And whatever it is, there's in the, in the user's mind, in the customer's mind, they have some idea of who can do it. Very few times we say, we have no idea this can be done. Hey, contracting right. officer, go buy it. They got some idea who can do it. They got, they and got so, some idea. They, they've done their own evaluation at some level. Exactly. And, 
Yeah. I don't think they're going to come to you with three and say, well, we haven't looked at any three yet. <laughs> and and the beauty of this is that FAR Part, FAR Part 15, 15.2, specifically talks about having industry talking to government early in the acquisition process. And that's what yes. we're talking about. So we're not we're, put, put on your, I'm putting on my contracting officer head and say, this is actually not a bad thing that this is industry has talked to them and say, this is what we could do. And right. whether it's a sole source justification or not is a secondary thing to, I found somebody that could solve our problem. Tell me how to buy it. Right. Because the government doesn't want to buy something that they find out later doesn't fit or work. Correct. And and then I got to buy it again, which I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't do something twice. Okay. So we, we, why is this important from a, from, from both sides? Why is, why do the time zones impact everybody? Well, honestly, the biggest value is it provides context on, on, on what's happening at what point, just like you talked about, when is the technical sale happening? It's happening either right at the end of the requirement zone or right at the start of the market research zone. This really helps industry target. Frankly, it helps government target as well to be able to say, okay, who can actually do this? That's the beauty of having a clearly defined requirement, right? As difficult as that can, can, can be to do. But from the industry perspective, if you see, an, which we talked about this five minutes ago, if you see the RFP come out, all this stuff we've been talking about has already happened. It's like you are late to the party. Yeah, the, the party's you know, already hit its peak. Yeah, the wedding's already happened. Is it? Can we say yeah. that? That's weird. And that's it, because now you are pretending to be selling to them. It is somewhat possible to overturn it. But the problem is there's momentum there already. Their mindset is anticipating getting this. Their work environment is anticipating it existing. If you're new to this, you have to go in and reframe all of that to have it look the way you want it to look. Now, that, that takes a good salesperson. So when you say reframe, let's, let's, let's put, that, put that in the context of the RFP comes out, the acquisition team, the customer, the economic decider, and the contracting officer all kind of have a general idea of these are the kind of companies that can do this. And then some company who's not like them, who is, is, is related but never, never heard of them before, has to come in and how are they gonna, what would they do to reframe it? You have to redesign the solution saying that looks like what you want, but you really want this because now most contracting officers will say, give me all your responses in writing. <laughs> and I've done that a few times. Right. And we'll present it to the team and they won't give you access to the team. In that case, it's slim and none of getting a good chance to change that. Because how, how well can you communicate that in writing and why are they going to be open to it? They've, they've already spent the time doing their own little mini unofficial market study that clearly didn't include you yet. It might have included you before, but if you're getting a blind RFP, RFI from an, uh, an agency or contracting officer and you have nothing in your CRM from their group, or any of the system integrators that are connected to their group. And this is another point where you may be selling to the government not knowing it. You know, the, the, the name on the building is, you know, GTE or, or TRW or, or some contracting company, system integrator, and sometimes they can't even tell you who the customer is. You dealt a lot, you dealt a lot with that in the, in the classified environment where you worked? Enormous amounts of it. <laughs> So I'm going to back up on a second when you said about 
by the time you see the RFP and then you have, I'm going to ask for you to put everything in writing. The reason I'm going to ask you to put everything in writing is we're now in the RFP zone. It's like yes. now the RFP is dropped and, and, and I can't just have open communication. I mean, it, it's a different process. Right. And so you raise a really good point that the process is now handicapped this new entrant from being able to access the team. And as a contracting officer, I'm like, no offense, but we don't want to start over. We're humans. We don't want to do things twice. I go back to that problem, right? If we've got a lot of viable solution here for you to come back and say, yeah, but if you do it with a blue one, instead of a green one, we're like, we've been talking about the green one for two months. Right. Thanks. And, And you just want to get it done officially and cleanly. Yeah, I got a customer, I got to support. We have a mission we got to do. I, for us to lose two months going backwards is going to be a really compelling story. So yeah, really, really good point. So from the government perspective, like well, again, why do I care so much about these time zones? And like we've been talking about, you got to communicate what zone you're in. And it was funny when you said, the country also asked you to put stuff in writing. I did that a lot. And of course, this is back before we called them the RFP zones, but that's why. It's like I put on an RFP and somebody says, hey, but we can do it this way. I can't just have you come in and brief everybody because then everybody gets to come in and brief everybody. And uh, it's just, it, again, we've been talking about this for two months. We've, we've put out a draft RFP. We've done a lot of things to make sure that we understand what's happening. And so understanding the, from a government perspective, making sure that the industry understands what zone you're in. Like they, they need to understand when we drop the RFP, communications are going to drop off a cliff. Know that. <laughs> it's like, if you don't know that, I'm telling you now, right? The contract is offer isn't going to be negative enough so that you don't reply because they still need you to reply or yeah, enough, enough people, at least two more to reply. Yeah. I, I, I'm assuming that I'm going to have enough. Uh, one of the things I joked about as a contracting officer is I always got competition. Very, very few times that I not get at least three proposals. So oftentimes the strategy was somebody says, Hey, I want to be your 15th proposal. I'm like, I got, I got 14. <laughs> We're good. It's like, you're, you're, you're swimming upstream here. And so telling people that is, is going to save a lot of time because what happens is just like it, you can hear it in my voice, you're pestering me. You're saying, oh, but you should look at it this way. And again, it, it I'm turns thinking, into work that doesn't add value to you. Exactly. Or to my customer or to the mission or to any, like the, the goal of this contract is to meet some kind of mission. And every day I spend reshaping it based on what one person wants it isn't helping the customer. Because what it feels like is you're selling me a solution instead of saying, okay, what problem did you start with? Two months ago. <laughs> it's like you weren't here two months ago. So sorry you're late to the party. So on the industry side, so what what do you see as the 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 big risk? Is it just being late or are there other elements to it? Well, you you can be too early too, you know, because a lot of times salespeople are going in and briefing them on what's going on in the industry with no requirement. It's kind of mm-hmm. a lunch and learn type of thing. Okay. And point. those those can turn into like little research things and stuff. The problem is they don't really buy that much. So you can be too early. Focusing on the wrong people is really easy in the government. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, there's just so many people and you ask a question and you get 15 letters that don't construct a word as an answer. And you don't know really what to do with that. Yeah, I'm sure I've done that to people. And some of them love to learn. So they, they, they're very willing sometimes to take up your time without a real hard mission, critical requirement that could get funded. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. If you, if you don't know that there's a requirement building, then you're, you're just having meetings. And yeah. 
from, I always from used to ask, is this attached to a program? Ah, there you go. Okay. You know, because if it wasn't attached to some kind of program, then how do you get, then there's R&D funding, which is tiny. Yeah, tiny by comparison. <laughs> tiny, very much in demand, almost harder to get, even though it's smaller. And the number of times that someone would contact me and I didn't have a requirement yet, looking back, I, I should have told them that. <laughs> and and oh. it just explains why I got that question. Like, like you just asked, is this tied to a requirement? Is, is this tied yeah. to a program? Or they call you up and say, can I send you an unsolicited proposal? Oh. Yeah, like, why? <laughs> it makes me twitch. We did a whole episode about that because it's like, that, that's like a four-letter word to me. It's like, oh, that's God. a whole lot of extra work. It's extra work for, for government. It's also extra work and risk for industry if you don't do it right. Right. Yeah, because now they're going to follow up with you. And now you got to explain that you never had a requirement and thank you for the proposal, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. I, I, I thank you for, for, you know, thank you for creating an environment where you have to read something that we don't actually have a need for. Yeah, this is always fun to talk to you. Uh, to, to, to wrap it up, the government side, know what happens and, and can happen in each zone. And I love having Brian on here to, to give the industry perspective but from somebody who's actually selling into the government to say, this is what's happening in these zones for me. This is why I don't want to talk to you here. I may want to talk to you here. I need to know, is this tied to a program? Because if it's not, we're both wasting our time. <laughs> let's not do that. Like, let's Let's figure out what zone we're in. Yeah. And, it, and it's critical to know where you are in that process as a salesperson and to be able to walk away from the ones that are going to just take up your time. Yeah. Because even though you can send a proposal in, eh, you just got to know what you have and the likelihood yeah. of it closing. And, and, and does it actually solve the problem that the government has, which that's Classic Brian Burns language. <laughs> what is the problem you solve? So a, a final segue here is uh, if you're not familiar with Brian, he's got a, a great podcast called The Brutal Truth About Sales and Selling. It's 15 years. You've been doing this a while. 12. Uh, yeah. 12. Okay. <laughs> and he also has a B2B Revenue, which is a training program for, for folks who are selling in, into the, the, the B2B environment. So yeah. this is fun, Brian. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So all the stuff is up on all the podcast players as well as iTunes and on LinkedIn. I will see you soon. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. When you want more context behind how an understanding of the acquisition time zones can help get the government to buy from you, Skyway's team of former contracting officers is here to help with training and custom consulting. Give us a call at 877-884-5280 or visit skywayacq.com to learn more. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.